With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's pretty hot outside, but don't worry, everybody. It's only going to get worse. afternoon, evening, to all of you wonderful ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else listening, this is the Royal Deluxe Podcast, bringing you breaking news and analysis of the Kansas City Royals every Monday and Friday as part of the Fans First Sports Network. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you've been having a good week. Hope you're looking forward to the weekend. And I'm Lux. At least it's what I keep telling people. And I'm doing this podcast mostly to make myself stop listening to this new Lil Uzi Vert album. It's freaking terrible. Why did he cover Chop Suey? Oh my god, I want to die. Anyway, you can hear more of my shenanigans at the MFNKC. Or if you don't care about that at all, follow the podcast on Twitter at Royal Deluxe Pod. Once again, thank you very much for listening. It's a hot summer, and the Royals are bad, but you know what? This podcast is going up, 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 so we're getting hotter as well, and it's times like these, you know, when it's, it seems like it's the hardest to follow the team and appreciate them. It's when, you know, I'm more grateful for all the people that are here making me a part of your day. It's good that we can all stick together. I'm glad that I could be hopefully helpful or at the very least entertaining for an otherwise terrible season otherwise although to to be fair the royals have actually not been super bad over the last couple of weeks which i guess is an improvement and we do have quite a few things to talk about of course we've got roster news to talk about uh, there's a few things few injured list guys few guys making mlb debuts as well as more that will come in the coming weekend so we'll talk about that and john sherman Owner of the Kansas City Royals spoke publicly about the Royals, so that's always a big deal. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, not, not too much to say about this the, these past couple of series against the Rays and the, the Guardians, but I will talk a little bit about them because some interesting things happened. And, of course, we've got the Dodgers series coming up this weekend. Pretty big deal. Los Angeles Dodgers coming into Kansas City once again. And again, there's a very exciting MLB debut to look forward to. So uh, on the Royals, that is. So we'll talk about that. 
All right, so let's do uh, roster moves first. And I have to go back a, a few extra days because I didn't do a podcast on Monday. My apologies about that. I just frankly wasn't in the mood for it at the time. <laughs> that happens. Um, and I didn't have much to say. I, I actually did try starting it, but I'm like, you know what? This is not coming out right. I don't want to do a terrible episode. So I uh, hope you can forgive me for not giving you crap on Monday. So um, at some point... Last week, Matt Beattie went on to the injured list. Matt Beattie was a guy that we had in spring training and was actually hitting pretty well. And then he was traded to San Francisco, I think, on opening day or right before it uh, for just cash considerations. And then he was on their roster for a little bit. They ended up cutting him. And then he came back to the Royals, funny enough, hit in the in the for the Omaha Storm Chasers for a little bit. And then the Royals are like, you know what? Let's use this guy. Let's call him up. And I think he played like one game and then got injured, I think, on a collision play with uh, I don't remember who it was. Doesn't matter too much. But now he's on the injured list for a concussion, I believe. And so they called up Nate Eaton for the 90th time this season. Excuse me. I just had to be comical about Nate Eaton. So I I threw in a little burp there. Hope you enjoyed that. (laughs) And also... James MacArthur was called up from AAA Omaha. James MacArthur is a guy that was traded from the Philly system, and the Royals kind of gave up a nobody prospect who's still like 19 or 20 years old, and they don't have a lot of hopes for the future with. So, yeah, he was a reliever in the Philly system with pretty underwhelming numbers overall. In fact, actually, the the Phillies were using him as a starter uh, throughout the, the, throughout his career, and maybe we're starting to kind of give up on him. Uh, this year, he posted a 7.31 ERA in their AAA team. And then the Royals acquired him, pretty much used him exclusively out of the bullpen, and through 20 innings, put up a 4.87 ERA, which isn't amazing, but also Omaha, or at least that league they're playing in, seems to have a hyper-inflated offensive environment. And his strikeouts with the Royals went way up. He was striking out fewer than nine guys in the Philly system. Now he's striking out almost 14 per nine in the Royal system. Also walking a lot of guys, but still, strikeouts way up. That'll do for a reliever. So the Royals called him up, and then he posted a 63 ERA. He's perfect! In exchange for this, J- J- Jackson Kowar was triple was optioned to AAA Omaha. Wow, fumbled on my words right there. Jackson Kowar was looking okay at, at first in the season, and then he uh, wasn't. And now he has a 6.17 ERA. He's perfect! Oh, and remember when I said Nate Eaton was called up? Yeah, he was called back down to AAA Omaha. I'm actually not really sure what the plan is with Nate Eaton. I don't know why the Royals are sending him up and down so rapidly like this. I mean, look, I get that Nate Eaton doesn't have a super high ceiling or anything, but I still don't think it's particularly good for a player to just be constantly jumping up and down the league like this. Like, what what is the point of this? Is there no one else we could have done... With this too, or I don't know, di- have different guys that are doing this. I, I I just find this practice very very questionable. In fact, it's not going to last much longer because he's already been optioned four times this season, and the limit is five. So if the Royals call him up again, they have to keep him up because if they send him back down, basically they can't. He goes on to waivers if they do that again. So 
Yeah, and it's only it's only the first half of the season. The Royals have played 81 games so far this season, and they've already basically used up all of the options for Nate Eaton in one season. Just a very questionable practice, if you ask me. But at least him being optioned is, you know, there's a particularly good reason for it. It's because Kyle Isbell is back. Kyle Isbell, back from injury. I actually legit forgot what he had, uh, like why he was down for so long. I thought it was like a concussion or something, but uh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. I, I got this. I know what I know what to do. Um, uh, never mind. This page doesn't have anything. Well, it doesn't matter. He was out for a couple of we uh, for a couple of months actually, which is which is a shame because he was looking pretty good when he got injured. Like he started off the season slow, but then was starting to look was looking like he was turning the corner a little bit. His last couple of weeks. Uh, actually, no, he was hitting 237. I thought I remember him hitting really, really well. Maybe it was the last few games that he was hitting well. No, he was hitting 238 in his last six games. Okay, well, you know what? It doesn't matter. The point is, Kyle Isbell is someone that we still have hope for on this roster because he plays an excellent center field. Uh, he just needs to hit a little bit. Like, if he has a 90 weighted runs created plus, then this is a great player that we've got because he, he'll be one of the best defensive center fielders in the game, and that'll play. Uh, so hopefully he can hit a little bit more. So it's good that he's up in the majors uh, uh, once again, back off the DL or the IL as it's called now, because this season really is kind of do or die for him. Like we're, he's kind of he's he's already 26. He's been in the majors for a couple of seasons already. So at this point, it's like, all right, if something's going to happen, it needs to happen now. And if it doesn't happen now, then we got to we got to move on and find something else. Not that I want to give up on Kyle Isbell, because I really like Kyle Isbell as a player, and I believe in him, but, again, you know, if he's not good, then he's not good. You know, we have to have have something to show for this. And also, another roster move. Alec Marsh is getting called up to the big leagues. He He will make his MLB debut tonight. Friday, June 30th, 2023, in Kauffman Stadium. And evidently, there has not been a roster move uh, made just now for for this, or just yet for this, but that will obviously come today. I'm just going to guess that it'll be James MacArthur, because that one inning he had was really bad. And if it's not, then, I don't know, maybe it's Jose Quas who is not particularly useful right now, and I've always thought of him as just kind of an up-and-down guy who will only really show up when we really need him. Maybe Taylor Clark, because Taylor Clark has been pretty bad this season. I don't know. Um, But, yeah, some roster move will be made. It'll definitely be one of those three, I think. And um, we'll talk about Alec Marsh in detail a little bit later when we get into the series preview for this weekend. But very exciting little move right here, and I and I and I personally like it. Um, yeah, we'll we'll talk about it more, but pretty cool. Uh, also, the reason why this is happening is because Jordan Lyles is apparently sick. I don't know why. I don't know what he has, but that's just what the Royals have said. Jordan Lyles is sick, so he's going to miss his next start. So they called up Alec Marsh. Okay, you know what? I don't really particularly care much for Jordan Lyles and don't, and I'm not and I'm not really excited to see him pitch. So, this is fine. And also, I think another roster move could be likely. In fact, actually, who knows? Maybe they won't uh no, 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 never mind. They do have to make a move for this. Um well, I wanted to say that Josh Taylor could actually be headed to the 60-day IL. He had surgery to remove a herniated disc 
in his lower back. He was already on the IL, so the Royals won't make it like an actual like major league roster move, but they, it might open up a roster spot on the 40-man for this just for the near future. Um, Josh Taylor, you know, honestly, we don't care too much about him. 8.15 ERA in 17 appearances. The only thing we really have going for him is that he was the return for Adalberto Mondesi. I cannot say his first name properly. I am so sorry. And I don't mean that in like a negative way. I just don't know how to use my mouth properly. <laughs> so anyway, so trading Mondesi seemed really risky. And we were hoping that we could get something out of Josh Taylor. But honestly, the way he's been pitching. And um, there's a fly on my microphone jesus get out of here i have flies all over this place because it's freaking summer and it's hot and it's disgusting anyway we were hoping that josh taylor could be something because Mont- trading Mondesi seems like we're giving up on a lot of upside but for what it's worth Mondesi still has not played at all this season so anybody who's you know really thinking oh man like the royal specifically messed up Mondesi just be known, let, let it be known that with another team, he is still suffering the same issues. Like, they have straight up said, there is no progress with Mondesi. Alex Cora of the Red Sox is like, yep, probably not happening. This guy just isn't playing. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I say that sarcastically. Uh, sorry to hear that, actually. But whatever. Yeah, Josh Taylor, also injured. So, did we really trade Mondesi after all? Speaking of Jordan Lyles, I want to shout him out real quick. Jordan Lyles. Lyles made four starts against Tampa Bay last year, pitching for Baltimore. So he's familiar with this lineup and this ballpark. There's a called third strike. And Siri, you got to go. That is going to be a strikeout. And Jordan Lyles after trailing 4-0 at the end of two innings, has not only watched his offense come back and give him the lead, but he has back-to-back shutdown innings, first out of the fifth. Got him on the high heater. Behold, the two strikeouts that Jordan Lyles recorded against the Tampa Bay Rays on June 24th, 2023, Put it in the record books. The streak is over. Jordan Lyles has won a game. And by that extension, the Royals have also won a game where Jordan Lyles started. (laughs) It finally happened. Hooray. Start the parade. Yep. uh, That's just all I really wanted to say about that last Rays series. Um, actually, no, there's a little bit more I could say about it. But yeah, Jordan Lyles went against the best offense in MLB, pitched six innings, gave up four runs, and got the win. Because <laughs> the Rays, frankly, lied down and died after the second inning. I don't even think they had a base runner after the second inning. And the Royals offense came back from a 4 to nothing deficit, ended up winning 9-4. to four. Um, I don't want to take away from the Royals when I say this, but the Rays played like crap on uh, uh, over that over that weekend. Like they were really, really bad. And again, I don't say that to take away from the Royals because the Royals ended up getting two games out of four. 
They went again. Like, the, the second worst team in baseball, a team that is on pace to lose like 115 games, just went against a t- the, the best team in baseball, a team that's probably on pace to win like 110, or at least they used to be. I don't know if they still are. And they took two out of, and they took two games out from them. They won two out of four. Like, who would have seen that coming? We thought this would be the easiest four-game sweep for the Rays imaginable. And instead, we split that series. Again, Jordan Lyles, the worst starting pitcher in baseball, went against the best offense in baseball and won. <laughs> yeah, the Rays made a ton of mistakes in a couple of those games. Seriously, like, they they seemed just checked out mentally for a lot of it. Just lots of dumb errors, like the infield single that MJ hit on the first game, I believe, and I think we talked about that a little bit. Yandy Diaz just falling over and just just dying instantly. Um, they had Wander Franco benched for a couple of games because apparently he's like an a-hole. <laughs> just lots of weird things going on in Tampa that I'm not entirely familiar with because I don't follow that team regularly, but yeah, they, they did not put their best foot forward for that weekend series. And uh, I don't know how they're doing now. I haven't really checked in with them, but, uh, you know, since that Royal series. But hmm. if you're management, you kind of look at them and you go, really, guys? What's the deal? Come on. But, hey, congrats to the Royals. Congrats to Jordan Lyles. Streak is over. We can now move on with our lives. And, yeah, I, I dare say, you know, hate me if you want, but I feel like the Royals have been playing better over the last week or so than they have for basically the entirety of the season. Obviously, they've still had, you know, major stinkers of games like the Zach Greinke game against the Rays where everyone thought he gave an interview that sounded like he was about to retire, which, (laughs) come on, guys, remember who we're dealing with here. I'm not all that concerned about it. But then there was also that game against the Guardians a couple days ago where we lost 14 to 1, which might have been the worst game in baseball for that day, if not for the fact that the A's had a perfect game thrown against them. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I this is why I always say it could always be worse. The Royals haven't had that happen to them this season. Um, but again, it like. It doesn't really matter if it gets that much worse. What does that even mean at that point? Um, But some other games, you know, they've lost just because, frankly, they're just not good enough. Like the the game they on um the game on Tuesday, they lost two to one for that one. Scott Barlow blew the one run save because <sighs> freaking course he did. <laughs> Come on, dude, we're trying to trade you. Please stop blowing games like that. But but that's just like it, that's one of those games you just lose because frankly, you're just not good enough. Teams that aren't good they lose those kinds of games. Those team those games that you, that are really close and you lose them at the last second. It's just what happens when you're not good enough. And hey, the Royals kind of reversed that on the on the on the Guardians yesterday on Thursday. Uh, they had this <laughs> they had this fascinating game um, where in extra innings, Jose Ramirez stole home. Just straight up stole home. Aroldis Chapman had this long, kind of delayed windup that was trying to mess up the batter, and Jose Ramirez took advantage of that, ran home before he could throw the pitch, and got around Salvi's tag, and got in. And then the Royals responded by walking it off, getting a two-run inning in the bottom half. So actually, the uh, ghost runner rule is good. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it's not. It's freaking terrible. But still, uh, the Guardians, not a particularly great team. But that's a, that's a game that the Royals could win. And, you know, good, good teams usually win those games. Bad teams usually lose those games. Royals have usually lost those kinds of games, but at least in that occasion, they did. So that, that there's a little bit of improvement there. There was also the game on Sunday where the lineup just got absolutely torn apart by uh, Tyler Glass now. I mean, he was just obscene in that game. Five innings pitched, 12 strikeouts which means only 3 outs that he recorded were not strikeouts. He might the, the, the whole the whole outfield and the infield every everybody on defense might as well have just just sat down like like they were watching Satchel Page pitch or something like that. It was it was terrible. And even then the Royals still got a run, so it wasn't a completely uncompetitive game. They just lost it late, couldn't completely hold on and, you know, it is what it is. Once again, game lost by a bullpen guy that we're trying to trade, Taylor Clark. Don't know what's going on with him. I guess he really wants to stay on the Royals because we were just, a couple weeks ago, we were thinking, everybody was thinking, hey, Taylor Clark, he's having a good season. He could be someone we trade at the deadline. He could be, he could be packaged along with Barlow or Chapman and maybe get a really good return. And um, then he decided to have like a 12 ERA for the last couple of weeks. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Now, back to Kyle Isbell. I do think that him returning to this roster has some really interesting implications that kind of puts pressure on some guys on this roster because sooner or later we're going to see some real crunch happening especially when Michael Massey comes back he he, he should be back really really soon because he was he was only out for a laceration on his finger so it's not like he's down for some super long-term injury I don't remember when exactly he had yeah he had this on um like the 15th or so so he should be back any day at this point and you kind of wonder what's going to happen with some of the guys on this roster with the way some guys have been playing like Samad Taylor is playing second base and I don't want to say he's been t- playing terribly like okay in a way maybe yeah he's only been hitting 148 he's also been walking a lot more than most guys on this roster uh, and he also just hasn't really had much of a chance to prove himself like he's just he, he's just now coming up to the major league so he's got to get adjusted somehow in some way but so at some point someone's going to have to go down I mean who knows maybe you do send down Samad Taylor because you at least believe in the upside of Michael Massey more than you believe in the Samad Taylor upside which I would agree with I would rather have Michael Massey long term than Samad Taylor I think but still it's like I mean, I was kind of saying this with Nate Eaton. I mean, I'm sure, sure, Nate Eaton has been, hasn't been playing very well, but just constantly sending him up and down levels isn't really going to help him long term. And I don't know if the Royals are necessarily going to do that with Samad Taylor, you know, but again, I mean, if he's not playing well, he's got to at least, you know, get used to playing in the major leagues, if nothing else. Hopefully this will be a problem that sorts itself out later on in July as we approach the trade deadline, because the Royals... I do think, if nothing else, but to open up roster spots, might trade guys that might not really have a ton of value, but can still be useful, like Matt Duffy, perhaps. Nicky Lopez. I, I actually really do think Nicky Lopez should be traded at the deadline. I mean, I love Nicky Lopez as a player, as a person, as a, as a, as a guy. I think he's done a lot for this team. I think he plays 
more than, I think he plays better than what people give him credit for. He's definitely been hitting better than what people give him credit for. Like, sure, he doesn't make great contact or anything, but he's also walking eight, uh, uh oh, sorry, not 18% of the time. <laughs> that's stri- that's his strikeout rate, but he's, he's walking 13% of the time this season. Like, Nicky Lopez this season has decided, you know what? I'm just not going to swing the bat so much and I'm going to take walks. So he has a 350 on base. So that'll play. And then he plays elite shortstop or elite second base, a team's going to a team's going to need him. And right now the Royals definitely don't need him. Edward Olivares is definitely taking up a roster spot that should be cleared at some point. He's hitting okay. He has a he has an OPS above 100, so he's a good hitter. A team can probably use him. And I do hear some people, I don't even know who specifically, but I do do hear some skepticism like, "Oh, no team is going to trade for Nicky Lopez. No team is going to trade for Edward Olivares." Look, we Team, c- competitive teams will trade for fringe pieces like that. The, the the Mariners last season traded for Carlos Santana. They made the playoffs with Carlos Santana. Two years ago, the Braves traded for Jorge Soler and several other guys. They got Adam Duvall and Jacques Peterson and Pablo Sandoval at the deadline. All guys who were not having great seasons. They were maybe subpar. And the team itself was looking subpar. The team was like below 500 at the trade deadline. And then they won the World Series with most of those guys. So it, it, it there's definitely evidence to suggest that teams will trade for fringe players like Nicky Lopez and Edward Olivares or even Matt Duffy. They can be valuable more than you may more than you might think. I mean, we're playing the Dodgers this weekend and their middle infield, I'll, I'll just say right now before we even talk about them in detail, the Dodgers middle infield is not great right now. Miguel Vargas is not hitting as well as they thought at second base and Miguel Rojas at shortstop is a worse hitter than Nicky Lopez, if you can believe that. He's, he has an OPS plus of 52. Like, he's probably the worst hitter in baseball who's actually getting regular playing time. So, there's a team that could really use a good middle infield, a good middle infielder right now, or even a fringe middle infielder right now. I think we've said that Nicky Lopez can be a backup player on a good competitive team. Well, next season... Nicky Lopez is under control for, I think, two more seasons, and next season, the Dodgers are going to get Gavin Lux back. They're going to get back my son, (laughs) Gavin Lux. Uh, So there's a team that could use a, a backup shortstop right now and for the next couple of seasons. So maybe when these older players are hopefully dealt later on in the month, um, or next month, I suppose, we'll maybe worry a little bit less about where everybody's playing, and that'll just be an issue that resolves itself. Although, another guy that I want to uh, bring up is um, MJ Melendez not hitting so well. So if you want to talk about somebody somebody that could be sent down, you know, I I don't think that it would be out of the question to option it, to option MJ Melendez and have him work on his pinch, pitch recognition a little bit because he swings too much outside of the zone. Just saying. And you can also option MJ Melendez if you want to bring up another outfielder, such as... Where in the world is... Tucker Wade Bradley. Tucker Bradley, over the last week, got two hits, two walks, two stolen bases, and one caught stealing. And also one sacrifice hit. He only played three games, unfortunately. I don't know if that's due to Omaha's schedule or just because, I don't know, for some reason someone doesn't want to play Tucker Bradley every day. But let me tell you... This train is picking up steam 
and it's getting and it's selling tickets. It's selling out fast. People are noticing Tucker Bradley, not just me, not just Royals Farm, but also MLB.com. I actually missed this, but last Thursday, MLB.com published an article that was talking about 30 hitting prospects for each team. Just a, just some just some under-the-radar prospects that everybody should lo- look out for, one for each team. And, of course, for the Royals, they highlighted Tucker Bradley. Yep. So, it's not just me. It's not me just memeing Tucker Bradley. He's the real deal. So, just saying. The Royals want to add to the roster crunch. Someone wants to join the fight. So, if you're not already on this train for some reason, get on it. Get in, losers. Tucker Bradley's going to make the major league sometime this season. So let's talk about something really, really big that happened yesterday. John Sherman addressed the public. He spoke to the media about the Royals and about the Royals stadium or the potential new stadium, things like that. Um, things. Can I be honest? Well, of course, I'm going to be honest. This is my show and I'm always honest. Because I have nothing to, I have nothing to hide, and I have nothing to, I have nothing to gain by lying to you all. I just didn't really care much for the press conference. I didn't get to see it live because I was at work. Because I am a um, a very boring person who works in the mornings, funny enough, and the nights. Um, but yeah, this the whole press conference it happened and i and i got you know the highlights from other people i saw what people were saying the, the summaries that were posted on twitter from various people and thank you to everybody who was uh sharing that information for someone like me who couldn't actually tune in live but at the end of it i just kind of thought yeah it's pretty much what i expected that sh- that certainly was one of the press conferences of all time i don't really think it did anything to convince me or anybody else about what's going on with this team like it didn't it, he didn't say anything new in my honest opinion i don't want to come off as ungrateful when i say all that because i do think that just him doing the press conference alone was good and i actually do think that this shows that john sherman cares I think he cares more than what most people are giving him credit for. Because a lot of people are like, oh, John Sherman, he doesn't care. He's such a cheap ass. All he wants is the MLB stadium and blah, 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 blah. They also, a lot of people have also taken him saying that they don't want to have an Oakland situation on their hands as as like a, a thinly veiled threat that, oh, yeah, this is exactly what's going on with Oakland. He's He's totally moving the team. He's not. Moving the team. If there's anything that I am like 100% confident in, it's that John Sherman is not moving the Kansas City Royals. That is not going to happen, okay? What he meant with the Oakland situation is that in Oakland, there was a lot of public disputing between the team itself and also the city of Oakland, where neither side could really agree on what either of them wanted. So it was just kind of this whole cluster funk. And the, and that's what John Sherman wants to avoid. He doesn't want the to have these disagreements with the city. He just he wants everything to work out. But here is where I will play both sides a little bit, and I will say that 
I don't think that John Sherman, well, you know, I said this already, John Sherman didn't really say anything new. So if you have been having those thoughts that the that if you if you have been having those doomed thoughts that the Royals are going to leave Kansas City somehow, then I'll admit he didn't really say anything to convince you otherwise. So I don't blame anybody for thinking that necessarily. I do think it's an absurd thing to think, but I, I, I get I get why your mind hasn't been changed. And hey, my mind hasn't really been changed either. I do remain skeptical of John Sherman's ability to make the Royals competitive on how to get this stadium going or whatever else he wants. I, I do kind of question how he's actually doing all of this. I think that he has been saying a lot and not doing a lot. I mean, one thing I really disagreed with this press conference about is that he said that, you know, he and, you know, the rest of ownership, they do want to spend money in free agency. But also they had to walk that back and say, well, we're not going to spend in free agency if we don't have this nucleus already intact so that we don't, you know, we need to know what we actually need to spend money on. As if saying like, oh, well, there's nothing on the team already. So like, how do we even spend in free agency? Where do we start? You know, what, what would be the point of spending in free agency? I actually disagree with that a lot. I, I think that this is a great time to spend in free agency if you have nothing, especially free agent pitching. I think that this would be a great time to just go and overspend on a starting pitcher if you have to. Just just do it. You know why? Because you need five starting pitchers no matter what. You have five slots available. So just go out and, I don't know, drive a Brinks truck into Marcus Stroman's house or something like that. Just do it. If you overspend, it's whatever. There are a few ways that this could go. In some ways, negatively and positively. You oversign a star- you you overpay for a starting pitcher, and then he's basically exactly what you hoped he would be. He's a Cy Young contender throughout the, his contract, or a bulk of his contract, but the team itself isn't very good. Well, at least you can say, okay, well, it's not this guy's fault. And it's not even like the contract itself is not an issue because really the problem is just that nothing was built around this guy. Or maybe you actually do develop a starting rotation. You actually develop five pitchers that are better than, than the guy that you signed because maybe the guy you signed isn't as good as you hoped he would be in a couple of years. Then you know what? Good. <laughs> that, that's a good thing. I mean, it's not op- it's not optimal, but it's still a good thing if you have five developed starting pitchers who are all better than the big guy that you signed. It probably means that you developed a good team around that pitching staff if you know the pi- if the pitching itself developed so well. And you can't even really count on that happening because I mean, what team has too much pitching? Like there there quite literally is not even a thing as having too much pitching. All right, we're talking about the Dodgers in a bit because we're going to play them this weekend and the Dodgers are like the experts on overspending on pitching. And they've turned this into a good thing. Back in, um, it was after the 2018 season, they made a trade for Homer Bailey of the Reds. He was still under contract for one year, $23 million. And he was a terrible pitcher by this point. So the Reds, they wanted to get rid of him. Dodgers took him. They took that entire contract and they did that because they actually got some really good prospects out of it. They got Hosea Gray and Jeter Downs from this trade just for that salary dump. And then they ended up trading away Jeter Downs. They made him the biggest piece, the biggest prospect piece to land Mookie Betts. But also, they traded Mookie Betts 
as well as getting David Price from that. When he still had like three years, like a $110 million on that contract. I don't know if the Red Sox paid some of that, but it was a ton of money. All right. And they traded for David Price and had him in the bullpen. They they traded for a $35 million starting pitcher and then put him in the bullpen. Because they're like, they, they, they frankly just didn't need him. They had five better starting pitchers than David Price. And hey, he still made some starts whenever the team needed to. Like I said, you can't have too much pitching. And also, Homer Bailey, they didn't even play him. They traded for him and then immediately cut him. And this was all in the offseason. So it wasn't even like they, they gave him a spring training or anything. Like, like no. They just took the, they took, they just took his salary so that they could get the prospects. And they, they flipped those prospects for not only Mookie Betts, but also Josiah Gray was flipped to the Nationals for Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. So I would say, don't worry too much about overspending on a starting pitcher. Just don't worry about it. Just, just do it. Just show that you can spend money, that you're willing to spend money. And I don't know, maybe the worst case scenario is that not only is this pitcher that you signed not good in a few years, but also the team itself is not a good in a few years. Basically, an Ian Kennedy situation. But if the team is not good in a few years, with or without this $30 million th- theoretical, this $30 million starting pitcher on your roster, then you have much, uh, you have much bigger issues. The issue would not be that you spent however much money on this one pitcher who's not very good anymore. The issue would be that, oh, you didn't develop anything around this guy, and also this guy's bad. So yeah, Marcus Stroman is going to opt out of his contract at the end of the season. He has literally said so. Go give him a four or five year deal for like, I don't know, 30 million a year. Just, just overpay for someone. Uh, Julio Arias is having a weirdly down season. Maybe you could get him for a long deal, but a lower AAV than expected. Same with Aaron Nola. I would love for that guy to pitch in Kauffman Stadium. He's also having kind of a down year. Just overspend on a on a really good pitcher, and I I don't think it'll be all that big of an issue. That's basically the one takeaway that I had from the Sherman press conference. I don't think it it said anything new, but I guess it's still nice that he you know faced the public and said something because. Like I said, that I feel like that at least shows that he does care. I really do think that Sherman does care about making the Royals competitive. And, you know, he and he and it was good that he said, yeah, you know what? Things are worse than we expected this season, because that's not what the past regime of Royals would say. I mean, first of all, David Glass wouldn't say anything. Dayton Moore would be like, yeah, you know what? This is kind of within our expectations. Even though he would have gone into the, even though he would go into the season, he would go into each season thinking, yeah, this team's going to make the wild card this season. This roster, yeah, we, we built a contender right here. So it was good to at least finally hear someone say, yeah, you know what? This team is pretty bad. <laughs> I think we might have messed up a little bit. I remain skeptical, but hopeful. Just the same way I've already, already felt about John Sherman. And I feel like most people would come away from this press conference thinking the same thing. Just, unchanging from how they saw this owner and this team before. So let's look to the future. Let's talk about this upcoming weekend series. Oh, wait a minute. First of all, I got to add something to the show. And we're back. Thanks for your patience. 
So we are going to have a fun weekend against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Such a fearsome team. Actually, maybe not really. Um, they are not having quite the dominant season that they, that, that they were having last year when they visited Kansas City and they were on pace for like this absolutely absurd season. They finished with 111 wins, which I felt like was short of the mark, short of what we were expecting them to finish. But um, yeah, they were they were they were super scary. I think last season when they came to Kauffman Stadium, the rotation, or at least the three pitchers that we, we were uh, expected to see for that series had a combined record of like 30 and one. Something ridiculous. I mean, that pitching staff last season was absurd. It's not quite so good this season, and neither is the lineup, which is why, you know, I've been saying they're having a good season, but they're not dominant. In fact, they're not even winning the division. Yeah, the, the Los Angeles Dodgers are in second place, only and behind by a couple of games at that. So it's a very, very competitive division over there. 45 and 35 is their record. Two games behind the Arizona Diamondbacks. Who would have thought that they would be this good? I thought they. I did think that they would be a good. That the, I did think that the Diamondbacks would be a good team this season, but I also did not think that they would be second best in the National League or something like that. So, um, yeah, good for them, I suppose. But the Dodgers. Here's how they're playing: 109 weighted runs created plus. That is sixth in baseball. So generally, they have the sixth best offense. Their batting average is low. 239 is what they're hitting as a team, which is 21st in baseball. But they make up for it with the on base and the slugging. 325 on base and 442 slugging. That is the 11th best on base percentage. The fifth best slugging percentage. And uh, even though the on base is only 11 is only 11th in baseball. They have the second best walk rate as a team, only behind the San Diego Padres. Funny enough, what Juan Soto does to a team, I suppose. And also, they have 127 home runs as a team. That is second in all of baseball, only behind Atlanta, which they're actually like 20 or 25 home runs behind. Atlanta is hitting the crap out of the baseball over there, but that's why they're the best team in the National League. The Braves are, that is, not the Dodgers, not this season. So interestingly enough, you know, I was saying how just crazy and legendary that that pitching staff for the Dodgers was last season. It is not good this season. This might be, this might be actually shocking to to hear. The Dodgers have a bad pitching staff, like a considerably below average pitching staff this season. They have a 4.52 ERA as a team. That is 23rd. In baseball, their rotation has an ERA of 4.36, which is 17th, so still a little bit below average, and a 4.74 bullpen ERA, which is 26th in baseball. They're almost in Royals territory right there. They have been pretty injured, for what it's worth. Dustin May, Julio Arias, uh, both losing big uh, both lost major time this season due to injuries. Also, Noah Syndergaard is injured, and he had like a seven ERA for some reason. Not sure what the deal is with that. With with that guy, you know, you think that someone goes to the Dodgers, and then their career just has this major resurgence. And I think we were all thinking that that would happen with Noah Syndergaard. And no, actually, he was freaking terrible. Um, but yeah. Interesting. And also on defense, the Dodgers aren't super impressive there. They have the 23rd best defense in baseball, which is to say it's actually uh, like the 7th or 8th worst in baseball. Their zone rating is pretty good, 8th in baseball, but 
only 17th in defensive runs saved and 18th in outs above average. So their fielding is not terrible, but does leave something to be desired. So the probable pitchers for this weekend are very, very interesting. On Friday, we are going to have a big rookie matchup. The Dodgers are going to send out Bobby Miller, who was maybe their number one prospect going into the season. And I say maybe because not all sites that I looked at had him as the number one prospect. MLB Pipeline did. Fangraphs didn't. But so far, six starts, 4.13 ERA. Um, and I and I love this guy because, and, and of course, this is, a, this is a thing that no one else cares about but me. But I had him on my fantasy team. I picked him up in free agency on my fantasy roster. And I'm like, haha, look how smart I am. As this guy had like a 0.2 ERA in his first three starts or so. He threw a complete game against, I think a complete game shutout actually, against the Philadelphia Phillies. And over his last two starts, he's actually given up 13 runs. So he's down to a 4.13 ERA, not quite so dominant, but now he gets to go up against the Royals. So <laughs> this is definitely an opportunity for him to bounce back. He is a six foot five righty, throws 97 to 100, and tops 102. So evidently, his fastball is super good. And by fastball, I mean he has a sinker and a four seamer that he controls really well. He's also got a plus slider that he controls also pretty well, high spin curveball, and below average changeup, and that he doesn't control quite as well. But he throws the changeup, his, his, his changeup is considered to be below average, but he throws it 16% of the time, which is pretty interesting. He definitely mixes up his pitches pretty interestingly, but expect the sinker-slider combo mostly, because those are his money pitches right there. Meanwhile, the Royals are going to send in Alec Marsh. He is going to make his MLB debut on Friday. <laughs> so, uh, you know, have fun getting to pitch to Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Mookie Betts, <laughs> J.D. Martinez. <laughs> have fun! So, Alec Marsh, he was drafted in the second round by the Royals, and he was... At least in the past, maybe not this season, but definitely going into 2022 or even 2021 was considered to be the team's best pitching prospect outside of Asa Lacey. And even then, that wasn't completely unanimous. I know if nothing, if no one else, Preston of uh, on, on Twitter at Royals Miners, he actually said all the way back in like 2020, 20, not 2020, uh, 2021, that Alec Marsh was like a better prospect than Asa Lacey. So he's definitely been high on him. What's interesting is that he had a really bad year last year. He just gave up home runs at an absolutely obscene amount, or rather rate. And this season, the numbers themselves aren't extremely good. So 5.32 ERA in double A ball, but he also had a super high BABIP. And interestingly, he had a very low home run rate. So he actually had a 4.03 FIP and a 4.33 expected FIP. So this is all basically saying that the ERA can't be trusted too much. He has been getting genuinely unlucky. And then he was bumped up to AAA Omaha, has a 2.4 ERA over there at, through 15 innings. I wrote 15 starts like an idiot. That's three starts, actually. 10.8 strikeouts through nine and four and a half walks 
through nine across both levels. So you don't love the walk rate, but the strikeout rate is definitely fantastic. And generally what he's done this season, at least with those numbers, that's pretty consistent with the rest of his career. So he's a six foot two righty, mid to high 90s fastball, four seamer and sinker, and pretty average breaking stuff. Slider, changeup, curveball, just not super good command, as you could tell with the walk rate. And you know what? I like this move from the Royals. From the Royals, I think we've been expecting Alec Marsh to make the majors this season at some point. I think we've expected him to be a potential starter at the major leagues this season. And I like that the Royals are just going to go for it. They're like, you know what? Sure, the ERA in the minors isn't great, but we like the underlying data. We like the FIP. We like the super low home run rate, at least compared to what he's what he had last year. We like the stuff. We love the strikeouts. Let's just see how he does in the majors. So even if this doesn't work out super well for tonight, which, you know, I'll be I'll be honest, the odds of this being a great game for Alec Marsh are pretty low given the lineup that he has to face. But I still like the I still like the idea behind this. I, I like the logic behind this. Like, let's just ignore the let's ignore the sexy numbers that are really obvious and let's look at the actual stuff. Let's look at the process and let's just let's just try it. Let's just see how this goes. Why not? I like this, Royals. Good move. On Saturday, so I mentioned that Julio Urias has been injured. He's actually coming back on Saturday. Baseball reference does not have him as a probable pitcher, but I have been kind of like reading around, and it does seem like Julio Urias is going to be pitching on Saturday against the Royals, which is funny. I, I, I think this is really funny because he's someone I want to target in the offseason. So we get to get a look at the maybe hopefully reformed Julio Urias because he has not been having a very good season. 4.39 ERA in 10 starts, which is super out of character. He has a sub-3 career ERA. And he's coming off of a hamstring strain, so maybe that could explain some of the, you know, the the poor numbers this season. And one one thing that's really fascinating about this guy, he's 26, and he's going to be a free agent this offseason. Yeah, this guy was in the majors at age 19, so very young guy in the majors. 93 mile an hour fastball. He throws a slurve. I don't even really know what that is. I'm not even really sure what that looks like. We're going to find out this weekend, and also a changeup, and apparently he added a cutter this year. It's his least used pitch, but he's also getting hit by it the least. He, uh, opponent's only hitting 173 against his new cutter. His fastball, which has always been really good, is actually just getting stupid hard this season. He's, uh, opponents are hitting 283 against his fastball. Oh, last year, it was 195, so I'm not entirely sure what's going on with that. Another thing is that he is giving up home runs at an absurd rate. He's having an Alec Marsh type of season. 2.3 home runs per nine. But he's still keeping the walks down. Sub two walks per nine. So there is still reason to believe in this guy. Meanwhile, the Royals are going to send out Daniel Lynch. 3.96 ERA in six starts. He uh, doesn't strike out anybody. <laughs> Daniel Lynch does not like getting strikeouts. But you know what? He's only given up one earned run in the last 13 innings, in his last 13 innings, including a game against the Tampa Bay Rays, which, again, had the best offense in baseball. I know they haven't been playing well, or they didn't play well against the Royals, but still, it counts. And something else that I really like about Daniel Lynch lately is that his last four starts, he has gone six innings 
or more. He actually had two seven-inning starts right there. So I like the depth that he that we're getting from Daniel Lynch. He is he's becoming an in, he's becoming an innings eater. Maybe I don't actually know, but still I like what Daniel Lynch has been done has been doing this season so far. On Sunday, final game over the weekend, we're going we're going to see Tony Gonzalez, the Catman, with a 3.3 ERA in 11 starts, which is way higher from last year. He had a 2.14. ERA last year. Dude, everyone on that Dodgers pitching staff had a two ERA last season. It was obscene. Uh, His walks are way up. 3.5 this year uh, per nine versus 2.4 last year. And also his strikeouts are down 7.2 through nine versus 8.2 through nine last year. But he still remains unhittable. He has a career hits per nine lower than six. Dudes just do not touch him whatsoever. Uh, but interestingly enough, he has a 4.86 ERA in his last six starts, including 11 over ele- or 11 runs given up over his last two starts. But they were against the Giants and the Astros. So when you actually look at the teams that he's played against, the good teams do seem to hit him pretty well. The bad teams, like the White Sox and the Cardinals, are just helpless against him. So. I wouldn't get too uh, comfortable with this guy. He does really, really well against really, really bad teams. And then the Royals are going to send out Brady Singer, who has a 5.88 ERA in 16 starts this season. Yeah, Brady Singer, who knows. But hey, for what it's worth, Brady Singer's last start, he he went six scoreless innings. So that's nothing to sneeze at. And interestingly enough, Last season, when Brady Singer pitched against the Dodgers, he was amazing. He also went six scoreless innings, gave up one hit, three walks, and seven strikeouts. So, who knows? Maybe Brady Singer will uh, get back to 2022 Brady Singer for just a brief moment. If we could get that, (laughs) that would be cool. And also, funny enough, that game was also on a Sunday. Could history repeat itself? <laughs> I I doubt it, but still, I do think that the coincidence is kind of funny. And who knows? Stranger things have happened, right? So I'm kind of looking forward to this weekend. We're gonna fight. We're gonna face a very interesting team in the Los Angeles Dodgers. A very good team, but it's gonna be ve- some very interesting pitching matchups. Lots of rookies, or not not even necessarily rookies, but we got the rookie matchup on Friday, and then we've got Daniel Lynch and Brady Singer, two young guys who were still trying to prove. Uh, for the next two games, and also Julio Arias, a guy that I'm very interested in watching pitch. And also, the Dodgers are interesting this season because they're kind of retooling, in a way, if if that's the right word to use for what they're doing this season, because their lineup does have a lot of really young guys. Miguel Vargas, James Outman, and also that pitching staff has Bobby Miller come up, and they've also seen some other guys come up. Michael Grove, um... Gavin Stone, who, you know, if the Royals end up trading, you know, guys like Barlow and Chapman or even Nicky Lopez to the Dodgers, that's a starting pitching prospect they could potentially land. We talked about this uh, like last week or the week before as a guy that, you know, I would like to get from the Dodgers system if we make a big trade with them. But who knows what will happen in the future? All I know is that whatever does happen, We'll talk about it when we get there. So until then, I'm going to let you go. 
let you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Although if you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it if you rated or reviewed it on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. But if you don't want to do that, then no hard feelings. I love you all the same. But I would love to hear from you, no matter what you have to say about me or this podcast or the Royals themselves, or I don't know, just whatever, at Royal Deluxe Pod or at the MFNKC on Twitter. And further inquiries can be sent to Royal Deluxe Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for making the Royal Deluxe Podcast a part of your day, and I hope you're having a good one. I'll see you on Monday, and until then, I'm Lux, and go Royal!